Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Leanna. She's dealing with fatigue, digestive issues, hair loss, joint pain, and having a hard time concentrating. She's been diagnosed with Hashimoto's and fibromyalgia, among other things, and is really trying to get a handle on all of her symptoms. Liana researched a lot and learned about the various things that she can do, but every time she would make even a little bit of progress with her diet or taking certain supplements or trying another modality that she's learned about, she couldn't seem to stick with it and fell off track very easily. When I met Liana, her words were, life just gets in the way. There are too many things to do. It's hard to stick with being gluten-free and I just don't know how to balance it all and keep it going. I got that. But when I probed her a little bit more and asked her about what she would do when she finally feels better and how that would feel, she had a hard time with that. I could tell from our discussion that this went even deeper and sensed that while she may not be realizing this, that she was actually sabotaging herself, unknowingly, of course. What was at the core of that sabotage? And what other things were blocking her from healing and sticking to her plan? I knew exactly where to look to solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me. Before I figured out the actual causes, and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Liana's struggle, and joining me on the show today to talk much more about this is Grace Smith. Grace is one of the world's leading hypnotherapists, and she's the founder of getgrace.com. She's also the Wall Street Journal's best-selling author of four books, Close Your Eyes, Get Free, Close Your Eyes, Lose Weight, Close Your Eyes, Sleep, and the children's book, The Adventures of Sleep. Her private clients include founders of multi-billion dollar tech startups, Fortune 500 CEOs, entrepreneurs, world-renowned artists, and celebrities. Grace, I am so, so excited that you are here. Welcome, welcome to Health Mystery Solved. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Now, when it comes to Hashimoto's, thyroid issues, autoimmunity in general, and really any chronic illness, it's so important to address it from all angles. And I talk a ton about biochemistry because that's a big part. And with that said, 
it's only a part of the story because there's so, so much more than biochemistry to really truly address our health issues. And some of those other factors like our beliefs, our fears, our stressors, traumas, you name it. They can often be even bigger and for many, the big missing piece in our healing journey, which is why I am beyond excited to talk to you today. And when I say beyond excited, I really, really mean that. I'm sure that you and everyone listening can hear the enthusiasm in my voice. I've actually had the pleasure of doing hypnotherapy with one of your colleagues and also your app. And oh my gosh, I mean, astonishing results. But you know, what's really interesting is that when I started to share some of this with some clients, friends, and family about what I was doing, I got interesting responses. Some were definitely intrigued, but others would say things to me like, oh yeah, hypnosis, like, well, aren't you scared that someone's going to control your mind? Or like, what are they making you do? You know, and in fact, one person brought up an experience that they had in college when a hypnotherapist came to a rally and they made someone bark like a dog. And so I think between all of that and, you know, a lot of those old movies and cartoons, there's still a bit of misconceptions about what hypnosis is. And so I would love for you to clear that up for us and tell us much more. Absolutely. Yeah. You can imagine how I feel after 11 years of hearing (laughs) these things, the barking dog and are you controlling my mind and making jokes and does that even work? But it's really funny. Some days, you know, it's just water that rolls off the duck's back. And some days it's actually really frustrating that these misconceptions still exist, but that frustration can turn into fuel. And the mission of my company is to make hypnosis mainstream in order to end needless suffering. And it's, it's not an easy mission. So actually, you know, sometimes hearing these things gives us just the fuel we need to get back out there and educate more because we're clearly not there yet, but we've come a long, long way in, you know, just over a decade of having done this. So let's start with what hypnosis is not, and then we can get into the science of what it actually is. Now, when we say, oh, you know, what if they control your mind. We're thinking about movies like Get Out or other unhelpful representations in cartoons and movies and stage shows. But if you really think about it, just one step further, if hypnotherapy or hypnosis were mind control, then every time a hypnotist left their house, people would cover their ears, put on sunglasses and run down the street screaming because they'd be afraid that the hypnotist was going to come up and control their mind and make them do something they don't want to do. It would be apocalyptic, right? It doesn't make any sense. Or some large multinational would just hire hypnotists to go into their commercial and hypnotize everyone to go buy their product. And instead of sitting there and binge watching their show, they'd be against their will, getting in the car against their will, driving to the store and buying the brand of paper towels they didn't actually want, right? (laughs) It's actually very silly. It doesn't make any sense. And what I say to people when I give my keynotes is if hypnosis were mind control, people would bring me their spouse and a checklist and no one would get divorced, right? You would just turn your partner into the dream person you want them to be, which is to say you can't even hypnotize someone to pick their socks up off the floor if they don't want to. Hypnosis is a means of getting what you want faster. That's it. And if you don't want it, you're not going to get it. So if someone came to me and they said, you know what, Grace, I really want to quit smoking. I hate the smell. I hate the taste. I hate the cost. I hate what it's doing to my health, but I really, really do not believe in hypnosis. Like, great. You're going to quit super fast in a session, two, three, maybe tops because hypnosis does not require belief. It's not a belief based system. 
But if someone came to me and they said, Grace, I've read all your books. I love hypnosis. I believe in it. I know I should quit smoking. I just don't want to. They're not going to quit smoking. So what happens when a stage show person comes to a rally and quote unquote, makes someone bark like a dog? Real quickly, we'll break it down. First, what happens is the hypnotist has an assistant with them and they are watching the audience and they'll start off with something called a suggestibility test. They might say to everyone in the audience, imagine you're holding a lemon. 50% of the audience here or there will hold up their hand as if they've actually got a lemon in the palm of their hand. Then they'll say, now roll the lemon around in your hand and feel its waxy coat. Maybe another quarter of those people will actually imagine they've got a lemon in the palm of their hand and they're rolling it around. Then they'll say, now bite into the lemon. And maybe 10% will pretend to bite into a lemon that's not there and they'll scrunch up their faces because of how bitter it is. Everyone who went all the way through that suggestibility quote unquote test has been noted by the assistant. So then when they say we're taking volunteers to come up on stage, notice the term volunteers, people who want to be a part of this experience. No one is being dragged up on stage against their will. They will choose the volunteers who went along with the suggestibility test, who bit the lemon. They've already been shown to play along, right? So then they bring the people up onto the stage and they start with very benign suggestions. Things like pretend you're in a brass band, pick an instrument and play it. Now, don't get me wrong. They do help you relax into the theta brainwave state, which we'll discuss in a little bit, is a state that all children under the age of seven years old live in perpetually. So in the theta brainwave state, we do have less inhibition. We are more creative and we are more playful, but that doesn't mean someone is controlling what we're doing as evidenced by what I'll share next. So if you're pretending to play the trumpet or if you're pretending to play the saxophone, that's pretty harmless, right? But as the show progresses and as the suggestions become more racy or ridiculous, people stop participating and they are removed from the stage so that by the end of the show, you're watching one or two people say yes to every single suggestion, even if it's something as silly as, you know, like hump your chair, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if it were mind control, every single person on the stage would have participated in every single suggestion and no one would have been removed moved. Then at the very end, they'll say, you can either remember to forget or forget to remember what happened up here, which is a suggestion that if you felt ridiculous participating in this show, you have the option to forget what you did. And about 50% of participants will say, I have no idea what I did up there because they absorb the suggestion to forget. Other 50% will say, yeah, I felt a little relaxed, but I know exactly what I was doing. So it's not mind control. Now, does that mean that some people are more, they are wired to participate in things like that more than others? Like, are there people who will bite into the lemon more so than others? Yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are quote unquote, more hypnotizable or more gullible or more anything. It just means they're more playful <laughs> naturally. But if someone said, my fear of public speaking is destroying my career. I cannot advance to the next level in my career. I am not an innately playful person, but I am desperate to overcome this. Hypnotherapy will be wildly effective for them, regardless of what their belief system is. So that's all the reasons for why it's not mind control. Well, there's there's more, but that's the gist. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It does, right? The minute we just go a teensy bit further with a thought exercise, we're like, oh yeah, the mind control concept is pretty 
pretty silly, right? Yes. So let's get into what it is and, and why it works. All it is, is meditation with a goal or meditation with a purpose. So right now, the conversation that we're having is taking place at what's called the beta brainwave state. If we were to put sensors on our head and look at the brainwave patterns that our brains are producing, the waves right now would look spiky and fast and very close together. The beta brainwave state is normal waking consciousness. It's where we experience um, fight, flight, freeze. It's where we experience stress and the survival state. Unfortunately, most people live perpetually in this state. It's not healthy. It's corrosive to us physically, emotionally, mentally, in all of our relationships. It's not where we're meant to live. Then if we come down just the tiniest bit and the brainwave patterns start to round out a little bit, become a little bit more slow. It's called the alpha brainwave state. And this is the state of daydreaming. So when we are in a shower, washing our hair, right, doing something rote, something we've done a million times before, it doesn't take any energy for our brain to go, "Uh oh, now I open the shampoo bottle. Now I squirt. <laughs> no, it just does all these things automatically. <laughs> also, the negative ions of the running water help relax us. So we are in a relaxed state in a safe place doing something we've done a million times before. And what happens? We get those light bulb moments. New information can come in. Inspiration can come through. Our intuition can come through. And that is because we are just the slightest bit more relaxed. So then way down at the very bottom of the brainwave spectrum is delta. That's when we're sleeping. Those brain waves barely move at all. And it's when we are consciously offline. So we're not consciously aware of ourselves asleep in our beds. We are consciously unaware of that. And our subconscious is alert during the REM stage of sleep. But otherwise, we're essentially offline, right? Now, a lot of people think that's where hypnosis takes place because that's what the movies make it look like because that makes for a more dramatic story. They make it look like you're offline and you are completely unaware of what's happening, which is not the case. So now there's this magical place called the theta brainwave state, which is deeper and more relaxed than daydreaming, but it is still consciously online. You are aware of your surroundings. You are aware of what's occurring all around you. And so it is more alert and aware than sleep. This is where deep meditation takes place, and this is where hypnotherapy takes place. So you have completely left behind the stress state. You have completely left behind survival mode, and you are deeply embedded in the rest and repair meditative state where you have the surplus energy required to make new neural pathways in your brain extremely rapidly. So one study found that six sessions of hypnotherapy results in an average of 93% improvement per topic, the same study found that 600 sessions of talk therapy, 600 sessions of psychotherapy resulted in an average of 33% improvement. Wow. So that's not to say that therapy is not very important and very, very, very helpful, especially because we as hypnotherapists, we don't diagnose disorders, we don't treat disorders, but you can see the power of getting into the theta brainwave state into that relaxed state to focus on what you do want, as opposed to staying in this beta state and just rehashing your problems over and over again, which actually strengthens the neural pathways of those problems. So that's what it is. It's you relax and tell your brain a better story and you see the impact immediately in a non-invasive way. 
That's amazing. And I, I love the phrase meditation with a goal or meditation with a purpose because it just makes so much sense. And, you know, I think what you talk about also with talk therapy and like you, I also obviously think it's helpful. I'm not against that at all. But I think it's just so important for people to understand that it is in this very logical, conscious state. And there's only so much, you know, because especially because so many other things are really in our subconscious mind and there's only so much that you can get to. And it makes sense that you actually can get more stressed because, like you said, you're complaining about, you know, your problems, your spouse, your children, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's great to know why hypnosis is so effective versus regular talk therapy or other therapies. And I'm curious with everything that you've done, I know you started out in corporate. How did you get from there to here? I definitely did not dream of a little girl (laughs) as a little girl of growing up to become a hypnotherapist. I did not know that was an option. And had I, it would not have interested me. (laughs) I I wanted to make the world a better place always since I was a little girl uh, and I was very entrepreneurial, but I just never really, interestingly enough, and I think people who know me will be shocked to hear this, but I really never saw myself as somebody who wanted to listen to people's problems. I really never viewed myself as a helper. I saw myself as a problem solver in an entrepreneurial way. But to me, those take on very different energies, right? Like there's the energy of the wonderful nanny who will listen to the crying child who has the skin knee. And then there's this like very somewhat aggressive energy of someone who's like, there's a problem in the market (laughs) and we're going to fix it, right? And I really identified more with the latter uh, and it's only since doing this work that I've I've really found a balance right in the middle of the two. So I was in corporate America. I was running the New York City component of a Silicon Valley-based startup, uh, very, very young, 24 years old, didn't have any health and coping mechanisms at all, but had huge, big quotas that had to be met. And obviously, all of this is on the heels of a financial crisis, a financial crash. Everybody was losing their jobs. So the idea of not making those benchmarks was crippling in terms of my personal anxiety levels. So I kind of turned to what I think a lot of young folks turn to when they don't have any healthy coping mechanisms, which is partying and living in the Lower East Side of New York City. It was very, very easy to find that outlet over and over again. So I was really lucky at such a young age to get sober at 24 years old. And that has been such a tremendous blessing in my life. And six months into my sobriety, I wanted to stop chain smoking cigarettes because I said, you know, the partying aspect of of what I used to do really defined my personality in such a huge way. This work really hard, party really hard thing was how I viewed myself. So I had to completely redefine who I thought I was in the world without the partying. But the cigarettes, I really felt like I could take them or leave them. So I couldn't understand why it was actually harder for me to give these up. I tried cold turkey. I tried the gum. I tried the patches. I tried reading a book about it that apparently had helped millions of people quit. And I I still just couldn't quit. So someone suggested hypnosis. And I went into my first session very begrudgingly. I did not think it was going to work. I had my arms crossed over my chest. And so that's why (laughs) even today when I get flack from people or the jokes, I can still find that thread of compassion because I really did start as a skeptic. And I just figured, what else do I have to lose, right? I tried everything else. Let's just see. But I fully went in expecting nothing. Um, And I never smoked again. Amazing. So once 
I came out of that session, I said to myself, what is going on here? Why did I think this was going to be either creepy or completely ineffective or a waste of my time when it was not only the only thing that's been effective, but it was fascinating and incredibly relaxing. Like I feel better than I felt in such a long time after just one session. And, you know, I studied human rights at Columbia um, towards my master's. And so immediately that wheel gets turning and I go, why does anybody have emphysema? Why does anybody have lung cancer? Why are people smoking who don't want to smoke just because they don't understand what this tool actually is? Um, So you can see when I get passionate about something, I immediately Mm -hmm. go all the way to the end, like, this is a human rights issue. Why are people Mm -hmm. suffering needlessly? So I said, all right, let me back up for a second before I get too riled up about this. Let me test it on something else. So I used it on my debilitating fear of public speaking that I had had my entire life. Um, And within 10 sessions, I was the lead singer of an all-girl rock band. Oh, my gosh. And and now clearly do a lot of public speaking for my work. Yes. Well, hearing you speak, it's so hard to even imagine that you weren't always like this. Yeah. And, And the thing is, a lot of people out there who struggle with fear of public speaking are actually very dynamic, wonderful communicators. They've just got this subconscious hang up and they can overcome. It. But you can see it took me one session. I did end up having three sessions for smoking, but I never smoked again after the first one. I had two more to just solidify it and to make sure all the cravings went away. Um, but with speaking, it took a whole whopping 10 sessions, right? That's like incredibly rapid, but by comparison, it, it took a little bit more work. And really the reason for that was While I wanted to overcome my fear of public speaking, I knew that would require me to speak in public, which I very much did not want to do. And so you can see once again, the degree to which you want the outcome is the degree to which you'll see it. So I still got there. It just took a tiny bit longer because I had the resistance to to even practicing, right? Yeah. Which is required if you're going to get up in front of people. So after that, I said, all right, I need to know what this is. How is the same modality, the thing that can help someone quit smoking, this can help someone overcome fear of public speaking? These seem to be completely unrelated. And so I got a certification just to learn more. And in my first training course ever, it became evident to me I've really never been a natural at much of anything in my life. I've had to work pretty hard at everything except, well, and I did still work hard at this, but I was a natural. I really was a natural. It felt more like I was remembering this than learning it. Mm. And that was thrilling for me because I really hadn't had that experience with anything else in my life up to that point. So immediately people start getting better, you know, The folks who were binge eating, they weren't. The people who were afraid of flying, now they weren't. Someone was biting their nails, now they weren't. All because of this incredible modality. And I was seeing these results in my practice clients. I wasn't even certified yet. These were just the folks I was working with to get my certification. And it blew me away. It's such rewarding work. Oh my goodness, to be the conduit for that level of healing in someone is just so thrilling. Um, And then three months into it, 
I was asked to help a man who was paralyzed. So he was a United Nations peacekeeping officer in Syria. He was at the peak of his military career when one day his United Nations convoy was crossing the city of Damascus and he was stopped at an unchartered blockade. And when he looked outside the window of his UN convoy, there was a bazooka pointed straight at him. And in that moment, he blacked out. He woke up 10 days later at a hospital in Lebanon to find in that moment he had suffered a stress-induced stroke. And this warrior who genuinely looked like Rambo, I mean, so strong, so intense, so brilliant, could now not even move a muscle on the left-hand side of his body. And he told himself, you know, I'll just will myself to move. I mean, this man had willed himself to jump out of a moving helicopter a thousand times. He'd willed himself to survive in, you know, the Amazon with no food and no water and no compass and come in first in his class in all of these unbelievably difficult, you know, Navy SEAL level training courses, he consistently came in number one. So he figured, I'll just will my body to move. And you can imagine how utterly depressed he was when he had not been successful at all, not even once, four months later. And it was at that point that he was flown to the Rusk Institute in New York City. And I was asked, do you think you can help this man with his all-encompassing depression? And the truth was, I had no idea. I had never worked with anyone with with that level of depression, I'd been, again, you know, helping people with binge eating and insomnia and, you know, not yelling at their kids when they didn't want to. But this was a daunting prospect for me. But I figured, same way I felt when I walked into my smoking session, for me personally, you know, what do we have to lose just at a much larger scale? You know, I guess, what do we have to lose here? Let's see if this can help. So I go into the Rusk Institute this very fancy institution with, you know, everyone's wearing white lab coats and there's fluorescent lighting everywhere. And I'm just this part-time brand new hypnotherapist. And I get to the room and, and this man, Alex, you know, he can barely look me in the eyes. He's so broken. I can see he does not have any hopes that this is going to do anything. Uh, I'm feeling equally as insecure about the outcome. And uh, we start the session. I help him get into the theta brainwave state, but I can see there's just, you know, it's it, it's not going great. And then all of a sudden, I get this thought. It just comes into my head and it says, Grace, he's military, be militant. And I start getting a little bit bolder. And I knew part of his training involved these helicopter jumps. So I said, Alex, I want you to imagine you're in a helicopter flying over a city at night. And you can see where the electricity is working. And you can see where there's a blackout, where the electricity once was, but where it has stopped working. I want you to let me know when you've flown to the blackout. And he nodded his head. And I said, this is a topographical map of your brain. When I count down from three to one and snap my fingers, there's going to be an explosion where that blackout once was. Three, going even deeper. Two, trusting what comes. And one. And now the electricity from this explosion travels down the left-hand side of your face, travels down through your left arm, travels through your left wrist, your left hand, your left finger. And I hadn't even finished the word finger. And Alex was voluntarily moving his left finger. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so his eyes shoot open. Wow. And he just looks at me and he says, what do I do now? And 
I have zero chill. And I burst into hysterical tears. And I said, just keep moving your finger. <laughs> That's it. You win. The session's over. So he's, he's moving his left finger. He's moving his left wrist. His wife comes in and starts crying hysterically. The nurses come in and start crying. The doctors come in all flabbergasted. And they start asking me questions. What did you do? What did you do? And I was like, I don't even really know what I did. <laughs> and come to find out there are other studies of other stroke patients who have used hypnotherapy to move once again. And what's happening is you're activating the mirror neurons around the area of the brain that was damaged by the stroke. And so Alex now walks without a cane. He has limited range of motion in his left arm and hand, but he is able to drive. He is able to grasp onto things. And the very best part of the story I haven't even gotten to yet, which is I ended up marrying Alex's son. So that is the way I met the man who would become my father-in-law. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what an amazing story all yeah. around. Wow. So that was the day I said, I've got to, you know, quit my fancy corporate job. I've got to make hypnosis mainstream because people are suffering needlessly. They need to know it's not a joke. It's not mind control. It's not all this other stuff. It's one of the most powerful non-invasive ways to make lasting change in your brain, in your life forever. It's a life by design instead of a life by default. And that's what we've been doing for 11 years now. That's amazing. And I just love, love hearing these cases and just the expedited results that you get. And I also just want to remind everyone listening that at the end, Grace is going to give us a little mini group hypnosis session so you can really experience what it feels like. So I'm so excited for that coming up. When we go back to you know thyroid issues and Hashimoto's and you know, there's so many different symptoms and there's typically a big inflammatory component and you know insufficient thyroid hormone. And with that, there is typically some diet changes that need to be made, supplements that people typically, they don't need to, but it's usually helpful to take. And then along with that, the, that biochemistry piece, there's also the piece of looking at the different triggers, right? And so when it comes to Hashimoto's, there's usually kind of four main triggers. So it's the foods we eat, there's toxins that we have, infections that we can have, and then there's the stress piece. And inside that stress piece is not just our daily day-to-day -day sort of emotional stress, but it's past traumas. It's things like upper limits we may have about what we feel we deserve or what we feel we can have, which is something that Liana was experiencing, right? There's other types of beliefs. And so I know I think it sounds from what you're saying that all of these things can be worked on with hypnosis. But can we talk about the differences between, let's say, someone who is just having trouble staying on their plan. You know, gluten-free is something that is really helpful for many of us with Hashimoto's. And for a lot of people, that's like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But for a lot of other people, it's, well, I just can't, or I can't not eat this food, or they'll do it and then they keep falling off, right? So it's sort of kind of like quitting smoking, right? There's like that quitting gluten. But then, you know, there's also the other piece, like, is there this underlying belief or trauma? So how would those be different and how could those be addressed with hypnosis? Yeah, this brings to mind quite a few things. First, what I want to share is there have been a tremendous number of studies that show when folks have IBS and they do hypnotherapy, there's in some studies like a 92% cure rate. It's just 
gone. Um, other studies show between 70 and 85%. I mean, talk about inflammation. So this connection between the body and the brain, we are just beginning to understand. And only good things can come from getting out of survival mode into rest and repair. And that happens every time you do a hypnotherapy session, whether you're working on not cursing as much or saying, um, or like, you know, these things that seem not at all related to body or brain still impact us in a positive way when it comes to things like inflammation, just because you're in rest and repair. So all hypnotherapy is really, really good for any type of dis-ease that includes inflammation. Um, and we just want to get the body out of that stress state. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing when it comes to, let's say, gluten, you know, um, highly processed foods, sugar, these things that are just in general not great for us, but really not great for us when there's a larger health concern. It's so, I, I don't want to undermine it because I know how challenging it is when you're just dealing with it at the conscious level, but at the subconscious level, it's so straightforward and easy. It really is. Even if it takes a whopping 10 sessions, which is really at the upper end of the amount that it would take. For most people, it's it's that average of six sessions, sometimes even less, to have a conversation with your subconscious and say, I know you think you love pasta, <laughs> mm -hmm. but let me tell you what it's doing to the lining of your gut, right? Let me tell you what it's doing to your blood sugar. Let me tell you what it's doing to um, the level of food allergies or food sensitivities that you're having because of the permeability of the gut, right? Like these are things that are really not okay. And when you talk to your subconscious, because really your subconscious is hearing this information for the first time, your conscious mind may have heard it a million times, but I promise you when you get into hypnotherapy, it's the first time your subconscious is hearing this. And all it wants to do is keep you safe. And it thinks the way to keep you safe is to have you keep doing what you've always done. But if you can just relax and tell your brain a better story, it is easy for it to absorb that. So I'll give an example about uh, processed food. There's something on our app, a recording that I love, and everybody who listens to it loves it. And you imagine going back to being the very first person on earth. There's no one else around. The earth is pristine. Everything is clean. Everything, everything's going to be clearly organic. And let's say that there's a jaguar coming after you. You've got to be able to run really fast. You've got to be able to climb really fast. You've got to be able to build shelters. So when you eat, you're going to eat things that you find. Or if you find bananas, you're going to eat a lot of them right? You're going to chew very carefully. You're going to make sure that you digest those things quickly. And then there's going to be a lot of time until you eat again, and you're going to really find vegetables or you're going to find fruit. It's to, to consume protein takes a lot more work. You've got to build spear and then you got to figure out how to fish or you've got to follow a bison around. And when you do have it, it's like this cherished little thing, you know, because you're not going to have it again for a long time. So it helps recalibrate how many fruits and veggies people are eating, the way that they're eating them, how they view protein. And nowhere along the way is there wonder bread right, right <laughs> in this journey <laughs> to getting away from the Jaguar because it's not available. Nowhere along the way is the penne a la anything. It doesn't exist. And then at the very end of this hypnotherapy session, we have human beings from the future 
land in a spaceship and come with their peace offering. And their peace offering is, you know, like Twinkies. And this person who has been building their own shelters, hunting their own food, gathering their food, has been running and walking. They're, they're strong. They're lean. They're fit. They've got this vibrant health coursing through their body because everything they're eating is organic and, and supportive of their body. And then they see this Twinkie and they very clearly understand that this is poison. This isn't food. It is going to break down everything in the body that is healthy and good. And so you can just say no. You can just very easily say no to these people in the future who have their health problems. And in the, in the hypnotherapy session, you'll see it lands way, way stronger than it even does now just talking about it. But when you emerge from that session, it's not that your willpower is stronger. It's that you have a different association with foods. And when you look at a banana, you go, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this. And when you see vegetables, you go, I understand now I'm meant to eat this and I'm meant to eat this in bulk. And when you see a highly processed food, you go, oh, that doesn't belong in my body. I don't even want it. Like I helped someone quit sugar on um, The Doctors is a television show and I, I helped someone quit their addiction to sugar live on television. It's not that when she passed sugar that she had a higher resolve to say no, even though she wanted it. After the hypnotherapy, she simply didn't want it anymore. Mm. And so that's what a hypnotherapist on my team would help someone do if they were like, gluten is so not good for me. It is especially not good for me because of my thyroid challenges or Hashimoto's or whatever else. They'll just make it so you don't even want it because you have these really compelling conversations at the subconscious level. So before I get into the trauma piece, any thoughts or questions about those? That makes a lot of sense because I think for a lot of people, myself included, it was the thought that, oh, you know, we'll just increase our willpower, right? That it's going to be like, you really want it, but you're just stronger. So it's so helpful to know that that's not it. It's talking to with your subconscious. And I think it's just so interesting that you're explaining that a lot of times, as much as we tell ourselves logically, right, it's not good for us, it's not good for us, our subconscious mind can't hear that because I, I don't know why I always thought like that it would somehow, you know? So it's it, it's almost like this, the hypnosis, right? It's the portal to this secret place that like you can't get to in any other way. That is exactly right. I love that you put it that way. So the, the traditional Freudian depiction of the conscious mind versus the subconscious is this idea of an iceberg. And you see 10% of the iceberg above the waterline. That's the conscious mind. And the subconscious is the 90% of that huge, mass that is beneath the surface that you can't see. That's the thing that sunk the Titanic, right? It was the part you couldn't see. Mm -hmm. So hypnotherapy is just, as you said, it's a direct, non-invasive, relaxing, fascinating portal directly into your subconscious mind. Now, willpower lives in your conscious mind, but that's only 10% of the equation. So even if you made your willpower as strong as humanly possible, if your subconscious mind has a differing belief, it's 90% of the equation, it's going to win every time. I also think it's very helpful to know what you mentioned earlier about the kind of desire for that. So because I think for most people who do want to stay away from gluten because they understand that it is going to be helpful for the thyroid and Hashimoto's, they do 
really like innately want to. There's just all of these other things that are either triggered or there's cravings. There's all of these things. So, but it is good to know that it's something you want to do and then it's going to work because I think a lot of people really do want to. They just don't know how. There was so much in this interview with Grace. It was actually too long to get into this one hour. So we made it into two episodes and I am so excited for you to listen to the continuation on the next episode. There, we'll get into details about how hypnosis can also be so helpful for trauma, both the big T trauma, but also the little T traumas. Those are the ones that we often don't even recognize as traumas, but oh boy, do these things have an effect on our body and health. Plus, in the next episode, you'll experience grace guiding us and bringing us down to the theta brainwave. I will also reveal what happened with Liana and all of the changes in realizations that she experienced. Plus, everything that I've been using hypnosis for myself and my family personally, as well as with my clients. And I am so excited and can't wait to share all of it. In the meantime, you can see much more information in the show notes. And if you wanted to connect with Grace, you can do that at getgrace.com. And I'll be sharing much, much more in the next episode. Can't wait to connect with you more there. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.